Chapter 9 Joaquin the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Samson Speaks. Joaquin the Claude Duval of California, or The Martyr of the Mines, a romance founded on truth by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 9 Jack Thirsty Again, The Drunken Miner, Daring of Joaquin The misdeeds in the neighborhood of Mariposa had so fluttered the people that it was deemed proper to make a shifting of position. The whole party crossed the Merced at a good ford, and now striking deep into the wooded land, now climbing highlands, directed their route to meet a trail by which they could reach the forks of the Two-Home River, that district where the best and finest gold is obtained, throughout the queen of the Pacific's realm. Thereupon, as soon as the stream had been passed with the horses, they went on swiftly until near Shaw's Flats. On all sides rang out a medley of picks, spades, toms, cradles, and all the instruments and mechanical assistance that could be brought into use to the miner. Numbers of Chinese in that quarter, which has been named since Chinese Camp for preeminence as the Celestial's Resort, had pitched their tents on neighboring points, and working in the company, were assiduously working and clearing up, profitably, the, the refuse of the claims abandoned by others from a pile having been made out of it, or from disgust at the scanty returns. The whole scene, animated by the spirit of labor, glowed with peace, prosperity, and contentment. Joaquin and his followers did not try to avoid general observation. The state of the country favored him as much as the English, and the French and the German robbers were shielded by the usages of their own times. It was too common a custom for wagoneers, horse dealers, drovers, hunters, and travelers of every description to camp for days and sometimes during whole weeks on the edge of a water course or under the shade of some big tree in a lonely valley. And besides, there was no uneasiness to be excited by the band being well-equipped and armed. The habit, widely spread in California society, of never going even to see your next-door neighbor without a toothpick or a lead pea-blower permitted Captain Joaquin and his cutthroats to flash out their steel in perfect security until they should willingly or perforce reveal their true character. The commander of this illustrious collection of desperados, possessing sums more than sufficient for temporary requirements, decided to make some weeks stay around the flat. His chief intention was while resting and living in an agreeable style, to spend several hundred dollars in circulations in the gambling houses, the saloons, and the fandigos of the vicinity. Chance served him wonderfully. He found some miners who, having raised the quantity of wind, otherwise dust, which answered their expectations, and being on the point of going home, great word in those days of California Newer, were quite willing to dispose of the little cabin which they called their house, along with all the household utensils with which it was not badly supplied. Situated on a site not very tempting, which the association of diggers had coyoted into and worked over and over again until the last precious particle had been removed, the hut was doubtedly valuable to the new tenants from its being in among the gold seekers, and yet not of them, for there were not likely to be sought for, Every evening, the robber leader, accompanied by Cardoza and two girls, would saunter through the growing village for amusement. The headquarters during this time was entrusted to Valenzuela and Garcia, 
a formal order enjoining the latter under no pretext whatever to compromise by theft or murder the asylum of the whole band. For the first time in his life, the butcher bandit seemed to have lost his hankering for human blood and during a period of three weeks remained near the common resort, sharing his time between cards and liquor. In the end, nevertheless, his nature retook the upper hand. One evening, while Valenzuela was at Sonora, along with Joaquin and the others, the wretch wetted his steel and set out in search of a victim. The Chinese, squatting before their tents, were busy in examining the proceeds of the day's work, sorting and chatting over the flour, grain, and shot gold, and raising a chorus of thanksgiving to Joss. No doubt, whenever a $5 piece, common to American miners, but extraordinary to them, was displayed. Jack's eyes caught fire with a savage luster resembling that of a hunter sighting favorite game. But as the Americans had tents not very distant all around the abodes of the Sons of the Sun and Brothers of the Moon, the bandit, who only had the wish to cut off two or three heads and not to get into a fight with a court in perspective, continued to walk on in the direction of Sonora with the hope of coming up not only to a better place, but a more advantageous chance. On the way, at different times, he encountered parties of miners and raw hands. But as they were armed to the teeth, he let them alone in their bristling array. Once in a while, a stray celestial was encountered, but as they were always hanging near to the large parties, he had to overcome his eagerness to spring upon the man and keep his weapons under his blanket. At the place where the Sonora Road forks and makes an elbow, too, he turned towards Columbia, and when he was only a short distance from that town, sat himself down by the wayside to tranquilly enjoy the flavor of a cigarette. It was a fine evening, the sky sparkling splendidly. Jack, before going any farther, resolved to take a little rest and smoke on until two or three in the morning. Then he thought on retracing his steps to his chief's cabin, he might without too much danger, walk in among the imperial subjects, probably stupefied with opium, and slash half a dozen to death as easily as kiss your hand. While he was foretasting the pleasure he promised himself in such cold-blooded slaughter, he was interrupted in his reflections by a noise of footsteps intermingled with the sound of a voice. Man's, it's hardly necessary to add, for a live woman at the diggings was a Barnum's feat in the times. We write truthfully of, endeavoring to sing fragments of melodies derived rather from the operas of Rice, Christie, Buckley, and S.C. Foster than from those of European celebrities. By listening to the laughable medley which the vocalist produced, it could be guessed instantly that he was like a ship round in the horn, half seeds over. Multiplying by the forces concentrated in rifle whiskey, the original powers of the lungs, the stranger, after having manfully enraged Zip Coon and Ancient and Jim Crow, ran on without a bar of rest into Possum Up a Gum Tree, Hoop Jamboreen, and Coal Black Rose. He began next to whistle a combination of Yankee Doodle and Old Lang Scene, but not find his execution of this satisfactory to his Myabirian taste through his whole powers into a mingling of songs, yells, and shrill catcalls. This new sort of harmony may thus be hinted to the reader. The delicate shades are left to the fancy. Oh, okay, Susanna, I don't cry for me. I gwen hit to call hit forty with. Hooray, hooray for hoo-roo, hip, yee-key. Apache charging cry. I don't care a cuss for nothing. Wag, a wag, a Comanche. 
the hundred and a dollar rung hick nugget. Slow scalp dance chat. Hey, hey, hello, old boy, added he, trying to pull up short in front of the smoker. Go on, go on, said the Mexican, not minding him. You're drunk all over like the paint on poor man's creek gold. Who in hit are... But his ferocity vanishing, he smiled, then scowled, then remembered the only words he had caught at the speech and heard at the implied content, went on. Look here, you don't know me. Come and take a nip. I made a steep lot on the bedrock. I found the hundred and one nugget in the dead man's cannon pocket. I did. I'll bet you're... It's in the papers. Come and take a drink, or fight's the word. I can lick any man, any smoker, any two smoke. I tell you what, you're mean as earth. That ain't paid dirt. You won't? You're a go to the devil then. And having found that he must either move or fall, he, without waiting to follow Crockett's to be sure you're right, went ahead by zigzags, uttering a preliminary shout, audible for a mile around to clear his throat and resumed his interesting lay. He had not gotten far from Jack, tacking, backing, and filling as he did, then the latter falling upon him unexpectedly before he had time to change his joyous ballad into a cry of pain, struck him to the earth with half a dozen dagger blows between the shoulders. In all haste, the murderer rummaged the pockets of the corpse. After having detached a heavy waist belt, which contained in coin, dust, and some fine half-inch moccasin pieces, upward of three thousand dollars. Three fingers retreated at a run to the cabin, where he flung himself on the bed for repose. Four or five hours afterwards, in dashed Joaquin and Valenzuela. The first ran straight up to Jack, and with a violent shake, tore him out of his slumber. "'What's up now?' demanded the latter at the point of using his weapons. "'A man's body's been found on the highway,' was the answer, "'and from the number of useless wounds, I believe that he can only have been laid out by you.' "'Are you quite sure of it?' "'Yes.' So sure that I want no denial of it, but you know who it is you killed. No, I ain't sure I did kill. He has probably eaten some poison oak leaves for tobacco. No nonsense. No, in truth, made answer Garcia, assuming an air of mock humility. And I must say, an idea that you might have need of a little funds, and I made that game come down with the dust. I have the honor, concluded he with Mexican gracefulness and politeness, brute as he was to present to you the result of my hunt and a very pleasant heft it has. Very well, Jack, said the chief, as he weighed in his hand, the money belt held out to him. Certainly it's a nice round sum and comes in very handy, for the water was going down on the bar. The trouble of the thing is that I have reason to believe the man who ran against your knife is one of the two miners of whom we bought the shanty. They could not resist having a farewell bender, and they have been spending money furiously all around. The maid of this one, I hear, is at Sonora, and ten to one he will tell about the sale and bring suspicion on us. What do you think of doing in that case, inquired Jack? Stay myself here for a day or so while you and Valenzuela put hot foot off for Stockton. Clarina and Marquita are already on the way with Cardoza, and you will probably catch up to them before they get to the town. And he had the best start at once, both of us, as you say, said Valenzuela, to horse. In a few minutes, the steeds were saddled and bitted. Jack and the last speaker galloped off at the designated direction, and their leader rode away slowly towards Sonora. The dawn was breaking, and the gaming hells were already choked up, already with black legs and outsiders, all conversing animatedly about the last horrid murder, and expressing great unanimity 
only wishing they had the assassin in their power to lynch him. Joaquin dismounted and tranquilly strode into a saloon for play, his cloak arranged in the Mexican style. He gave a nod to those of his countrymen whom he knew, took a stool and seated himself in a corner of the place not far from the door. There was a deal of stress laid on the brutality of the murderer, who seemed to have found devilish delight in inflicting gash upon gash on the victim, although any one of them almost would have been mortal. This remark set everybody to swearing most energetically that they would turn every stone to get hold of the guilty. Blast me with poor powder, too, said one in the principal crowd, as he banged the counter with a not-delicate fist. If I'd been one bit astonished if them greasers had a hand in our friends going under. What greasers? asked someone. Why, them bloody Mexicans, of course, who bought out the river claim. Why did they buy it? I don't know and don't want to guess. But there's one day sure thing that they haven't done one hour's streak of work, riding around like circus men in the States, playing Monty all day long, like regular professionals, singing, laughing, chinking full of heaping over. That's their style of living since they have kept house in this location. That's so. If it ain't ever, may I never lift pick again or see other side of the isthmus, said a third, as tall and slender as the first was stumpy and thick set. By George, it's the truth. No one can say where the Mexicans of the deuce rake in the dough. Their pockets don't dry up anyhow. Swallow me up in a sandstorm, thundered the first who had spoken. Just give a squint over yonder, Johnny. May I never cross the plains again if there ain't one of the Satan's own crowd, squat before us as cool as a cowcumber in a jar of vinegar. He leveled his finger at Joaquin. It is one of them as true as you live. If he understood English, he'd be shivering in his yellow skin by all the blue blazers. I'll go take his hide, see? Joaquin had not lost one word of the above elegant conversation, yet he had dwelt unaffected until the end, and all he did was smile and rise with the utmost willingness when the man strode over to him and laid his heavy hand upon his shoulder, saying, I'm thinking you caught at last, my old boy. Captive, before the smile had quitted his lips, had drawn his revolver, reversed it, and, and dealt his captor a most vigorous and swinging blow, at which with dented temple the American fell his whole length on the puncheon floor. With the wildcat sleep, the chief of the bandits was out of the saloon, and in a second more the clatter of the horse's hooves resounded without on the way to Stockton. The California Claude Duval was once more free. End of chapter 9